You're listening to 3CR Radio. And Bear, Hunter, you're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we chat with vegan gay activist Ryan Alexander from No Meat May. And later, anti-violence advocate and educator Lynn Bestians joins us to talk about the spike in partner, family and domestic violence in Australia during COVID-19 and the impacts on refuges. 3CR Well, No Meat May is a global campaign by Sydney gay couple Ryan Alexander and Guy Whitworth. And this week I chatted with Ryan about the campaign. Yeah, get it, James. So, yeah, No Meat May is, uh, we say it's a challenge to become less of a meathead. So we sort of, uh, I guess the clues are in the name. We, we encourage people to go no meat in the month of May. Um, and we talk about four big reasons or motivations, which include personal health, um, the health of the planet and saving our planet. There's many environmental issues with uh, our overconsumption of meat. We also talk to food security um, and the inefficiency of producing meat and animal products and the fourth reason is um, obviously animals and I guess the, the heinous treatment that animals get in factory farms and um, yeah so that so we've, we've been going since 2013 um, so it's uh, pretty much a little passion project I started with my partner and it, we just sort of double or triple participation each year as uh, people are becoming more and more open to um, uh, to the idea I guess and to heading in the less meat direction um, yeah, and I guess, yeah, we're, we're very fiercely inclusive as well. We very much, we realise everyone's on a different journey and uh, has different ability to participate and or um, different situations. So we're, we're very much uh, want to be here for everyone who wants to take a step in that direction. And tell us about the reaction to the campaign over the years from the LGBTIQ community. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, look, it's pretty pretty good. I think we're, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're obviously part of the community and, uh, a lot of our a lot of our friends and um, uh, community members, I guess, participate in the Meet May. So there's a lot of queer participation, which is awesome, and we celebrate um, those people as you know case studies and heroes that have taken part in the in the challenge. Um, and I think also too, we sort of tapped into you know we're, we're Guy and I who founded it, been together for many years, and we've been through the whole marriage equality struggle with the rest of Australia. And I think. Um, Coming through that, we sort of, I guess, um, it's a tricky one, but we're sort of looking to sort of uh, look at social justice, or I guess we're trying to get the queer community to look at social justice beyond just um, uh, our own, um, you know, queer or gay, lesbian, uh, uh, G- sorry, LGBTQI sort of struggles, but look at social justice and how it's connected with with animals and 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 the planet as well. So. We're sort of trying to draw parallels there, loose parallels, and we've, we, you know, we kind of use the rainbow flag in our in our branding as well, which is, um, again, another another way of us showing that we're inclusive of everybody of um, all shapes and sizes and colours and sexualities, etc. Because the treatment of animals is so often appalling, isn't it? Especially how they're killed for human consumption. Oh, 100%. Look, it's it's completely. It's all about 
making as much meat for as little as possible and getting that cost down. That's what it's about. So essentially animals in factory farms, they don't have any rights really. They, 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 they have um, parts of their bodies removed without anesthetic. They, they're, they're effectively killed as, as babies really. Like we're actually um, – our, our meat production is really we're eating, eating baby animals because they live a very small fraction of their life that they would lead. And yeah, it's just it's and they're all cramped into very you know tight spaces, which you know from a um, public health perspective is becoming more prevalent. You know things like you know SARS and 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 MERS and um, swine flu and avian flu. They all sort of come out of these um, situations where we're pushing animals together in unnatural situations, and they become you know breeding grounds for infectious diseases and, and potentially you know future pandemics. So I think factory farming is pretty abhorrent to most people, and. Um, even if you if you want to eat meat or choose to eat meat, I, th I think it's really hard to argue that we need to go back to the old days where where we um, have some respect for animals. And of course, the places where uh, animals are are packed and and processed for human consumption have become COVID nineteen hotspots, especially in America, but also as we've seen in Melbourne recently. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's very. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's you know, it's very complex. But I find it really really interesting. But when you look at who works in um, uh, meat packing places and slaughterhouses? Essentially, it is often marginalised people or people that um, you know uh, can't get work elsewhere. So they often are exploited themselves um, uh, because you know who, who I mean, who would want to do that sort of job? So it's not that surprising, I think, that you see um, these big corporations that are there to make money um, uh, exploiting their workers as well as exploiting the animals that um, that they are that they are farming. So I think, um, yeah, it wasn't that big a surprise that there's, uh, you know, they've pushed workers into unsafe um, uh, environments with the whole coronavirus as well. It's not 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 too surprising, but um, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, and what what we found this year as well is I think people are starting. You know, it's not it's not a direct linear um, line, but people are starting to draw the connection that you know the way we produce meat and animal products is problematic and. Um, and it does have public health consequences. So we, we've noticed, we, we thought it would be quite a, a slow year this year. We were actually even wondering whether we should push ahead. It felt really weird promoting No Meat May when we're in this, you know, world crisis. But we're glad we did because we've, you know, got three times as many people taking part and people do seem very open to the idea of bringing more plant food and learning more plant food in, in a non-judgmental, um, fun, creative, playful way. Um yeah, so it's yeah. I think people are starting to um, starting to shift. Why do you think COVID nineteen has effectively made people more responsive to your campaign? Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like perhaps people are reflecting more and and engaging with it more. Yeah, I think there's a few factors. I mean, there's definitely people out there who just don't have time for this this year because you know, and I completely get it. You know, if you've lost your job or your your business or um, you're homeschooling and you're trying to hold your job down or you've got reduced hours. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't, but there's a lot of people that are. There's a lot of people that are at home and they're, they're looking for something new. They're looking to get, they're looking at ways of connecting with other people too. And um, what, what's brilliant about Namit May, I think probably possibly the best thing about it is we, we connect people up from around the world in this global community where we have this event, if you like. Um, it's all about food. It's about fun. It's about sharing um, we've got people from all corners of America and the UK and Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, Singapore, Philippines, Hong Kong, we've got someone from Egypt. We've got people, yeah, all sort of in this group sharing their recipes and learning from each other. So I think it's a really nice way to bring people together. And I think too that, you know, as I mentioned, the health thing, um, you know, people are in lockdown, you're not going to the gym, you're not sort of, you can't go out to your restaurants. Um, 
you know, I guess this our, our social, the way we um, socialise has been disrupted in a big way and I think that has given people maybe the permission or the maybe the space that, that hang on, I can try this out, no one's going to judge me um, or, or, or I, I would feel people feel better eating plants as well. So I think some people are like, let's get some of this plant-based food into me, some build up our immunity and, um, uh, yeah, like I guess, yeah, it's probably a whole lot of different reasons, but it's definitely we're finding you know, more people are open to it this year. Tell us about your personal journey that led you to veganism. Yeah, right. So for me, it was um, I mean, my partner Guy has been uh, vego since he was nine, and when I met him, he was vego, obviously, um, and we we uh, would eat vego at home, but I was still a, very much a meat eater, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm sort of always engaged with it, and I always had vegan friends or vegetarian friends. And I was always sort of had a respect for them and kind of a um, kind of curious as to you know their thinking but it, i never thought it was for me but I, I i um saw a um speech or a talk i guess at the um opera house many years ago 2011 i think it was and it was about um eating animals this um writer jonathan saffron foa wrote this book and it, for me I, I was just interested in the topic and it he, he sort of drew these connections to these four big reasons that the campaign has been built around which is just realizing that you know i did i had no idea that our animal sorry our animal products had such a massive impact on the environment you know that they they really caused deforestation and the overfishing of our oceans um they're you know a leading cause and massive contributor to greenhouse gases and global warming the amount of affluent um and um pollution that's caused the um where else do you, i mean there's, there's so many you know the species extinction you know the, the deforestation the way we farm animals is actually um the one of the biggest causes of species extinction across the world as well. So there's all this environmental stuff, which really did um, what I had no idea about really. And then, you know, once you start connecting with that and you look at the health stuff, how it's a leading cause of heart disease and type 2 diabetes and bowel cancer, and there's a several cancers that, that it, um, you know, increases your risk of. Um, and then you know, I looked at the food security bit, the fact that, it, you know, we use, I think it's nine times as much fossil fuel to make um, a calorie of plant of animal protein than calorie of plant protein and the fact that it's so water intensive and um you know we actually make enough food to feed everyone in the world but but the way we distribute it as such is that it all, all this grain is going into the bellies of farm farm fed you know factory farmed animals so that we can create meat inefficiently so it's you know all, all these reasons and um and obviously the animals as well when you look at when you start you know looking into the factory farming and seeing how animals are treated and it's it's it, it, the violence is pretty full on, and you you know when you start you start connecting it all up, it's just like hang on a second. And then when you're at home and you're eating veggie food, for me, it's like God, this is, it, it makes it possible. If that makes sense, once you realize how good the food is and how you're really not giving up anything, um, you're actually just changing the way. Well, for me anyway, it was just me just changing in my own time the way that I um, consumed, if you like, um, and. Yeah, I don't know. It, it it was a it was a gradual journey for me, but once I started reading a few books, watching some documentaries, engaging with it, it all just led to you know to veganism for me. Do you find that veganism is becoming more popular in the LGBTIQ community because of those sustainability issues that you highlight? I mean, it sounds like essentially eating meat is is unsustainable for the planet. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, you know, the community because it's um I think a lot. I mean, you know, we find this with the general community as well, but a lot of uh, a lot of women get it and have more of a connection to it even from a feminist point of view i think understanding how 
um, women's bodies, you know, female bodies, I should say, in um, in, in the animal agriculture are exploited for milk and for dairy and for eggs and all, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. A lot of women sort of connect with that. Um, it's weird with, with guys, whether they're in the LGBTQI community or not, um, there's a lot of guys who... You know, you know, we're sort of uh, quite quite a you know shallow bunch, and we all go to the gym and sort of body obsess, etc. And I think there's still this kind of uh, connection between masculinity and meat, um, and or protein. You know, you can only get protein from meat. So there there is that which I've sort of noticed within the LGBTQI community. So not not a, look, not a huge difference, but there's definitely I think some of the more I find some of the more effective, and some of the more. Um, uh, the better communicators in the movement, a lot of them, I should get in trouble for saying this, but I find a lot of LGBTQI people uh, are leaders in, in the um, vegan movement as well. And I find that, you know, that maybe because they've always been outsiders or um, sort of had to fight for their own rights or social justice, they kind of have a really good skill set or uh, ways to talk about it, um, if, if that makes sense. So, if, yeah, it's definitely some, um, some really um, amazing LGBTQI activists. What's the most amazing experience that you've had as a result of being part of No Meat May over the years? Yeah, right. It's um, I mean, it's, it's a one. I mean, we we work really hard on this, and it's all a love job. And um, but but it, look, it is for me. It's you get the survey back at the end of each year, and each year, as I say, we get double or triple the, the participants, and just getting these surveys back from people who just stumbled across it on a Facebook ad, and then they thought, yeah, let's give this a go. And then they come through. One in three people report that they have a life-changing experience. So, like, not nine out of ten people will eat less meat or, or, or no meat, but one in three will actually say that this this campaign, you know, has had a, a, a massive impact on how they live their life or how they eat. So, so that when you read the comments and the, you know, um, that that stuff's really humbling and sort of really, um, yeah, I don't know. I sort of say it's the puts the fire in the belly and keeps us keeps us working around the clock to um to keep it growing each year. Thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR about No Meat May. Much appreciated. No worries, James. I really appreciate the opportunity.
from her classic 1995 album Jagged Little Pill, Alanis Morissette there with Wake Up. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic has seen a spike in domestic and partner violence in Australia, impacting on refuges and services alike. Lynn Vestians is an anti-violence advocate and educator who has worked in the family violence sector for over a decade, and I spoke with her this week. And please be advised, there is a trigger warning. Our interview explores issues that may distress some listeners. We've had an increase of up to 300 calls a day to police and courts. So the amount of family violence has escalated because people are in their homes, they're in lockdown, it's creating extra tension. People can't just go out and relieve stress like going to the gym. So they're using alcohol, which we know increases family violence. So places in refuges at the moment are limited because either they can't be open because they can't maintain social distancing or they have to reduce the amount of people they have in refuges. So women and children, in particular trans women, are waiting in hotel rooms not being able to go out and puts them at greater risk of returning to the abuser and there is concern that the death rate from family violence will rise. Do you know what percentage of refuges have closed because of social distancing? I believe it's about 22%. Okay, and so you mentioned hotels before. Uh, Who pays for them? So it's government funded, it's very underfunded um, and through donations to Safe Steps Family Violence Response Centre or to organisations like um, St Vincent de Paul and um, Salvos do own a lot of refuges um, so that they can expand their services and help more women and children. Because of these shortages and and a lack of places to go, are you finding that people are just staying put and putting up with the abuse? Yes. The perpetrators are using COVID and lockdown as a reason why women can't be alone or children can't be alone, are threatening to expose children to COVID um, if the woman leaves or if... Um, you know, if she's trying to make a phone call herself, the perpetrator will follow because the perpetrator's home all the time at the moment. So there's also the issue of people needing help can't actually reach out for help at the moment. So people are using COVID-19 and social distancing as a device to imprison people because staying at home state sanctioned. Yes, yes, exactly. And there's also concern about the COVID Safe app as well. As it logs who you've been in contact with and where you've been, perpetrators previously have put spyware on things like mobile phones to track their partners. Now they're using the COVID Safe app to track their partners. So the advice is to either not download it or if you do want to download it, um, just Turn it off if you're going to a meeting with a family violence worker or even to a doctor and or turn the Bluetooth off so that those meetings cannot be tracked. 
to what extent are governments and government agencies aware of these uh, uses of, of the app? We've tried to tell the government, we've tried to tell Scott Morrison, um, but it seems the attitude of the federal government at the moment is it's sort of collateral damage. The Andrews government has put extra funding into family violence services in Victoria, which is really good, and have published advice about using the COVID Safe app um, if you're in a violent relationship. What have the impacts been on refuges specifically catering for the LGBTIQ community? I know there was the Orange Door service here in Victoria that opened last year. How has it been impacted by COVID-19? Do we know? Well, at the moment, you know, everyone's working from home. Everyone's working remotely. So the impact has been huge where where there's not being able to have the contact with people needing help but also just having no one there, they're not allowed in, otherwise I'll be fined by the government. Um, Yeah, it's just refugees are really struggling at the moment. They're not getting regular donations. They're having to close their doors. And they're really struggling to keep up with material supplies as well. Um, Things such as food, things like clothing because a lot of women who leave have the clothes that they're wearing and that's it. And also they're finding issues with children and access through family court orders as well um, due to the extra violence. Women who have actually got IVOs and already been through the refuge system have to go back into refuge because... There's just nobody's really keeping an eye out on anybody. This must be having a really demoralising effect on on workers' morale. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, it's This is, you know, COVID is just unprecedented. So the best things we can look at is natural disasters. And we know during natural disasters family violence always escalates. Those who may have not used physical abuse will start using physical abuse. And every time you hear of, you know, you heard the other week of a woman being stabbed in, I think it was Queensland. And you you hear all these things and people who work in this area just feel like, they're not making a difference, that we're going backwards, we're not going forwards, and more women are at risk because of it. Do we know much about the impacts on migrant workers and their families and domestic violence? I mean, that's a that's a group that's really, you know, flying under the radar in so many ways because they often can't get government support. Yes. So we know that people from migrant backgrounds um, have... Three, uh, three times as likely to experience family violence. Quite often, you know, they are underpaid or can't get work. Um, refugees, if a woman is relying on a partner for a visa, um, the partner will threaten to not be a sponsor or, rem- or remove her from the visa, which means she'd be deported back to a country where she may be killed 
um, because she's left her partner. And um, there's also issues with so many organisations close. We can't even get protection visas at the moment in some cases for refugees and migrants. And it sounds like we're really just servicing the tip of the iceberg uh, when it comes to the epidemic of family violence during this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, um, we are actually expecting a spike in reporting after lockdown is over for anybody who can't report at the moment. And I guess, too, you have to wonder how many people are in abusive relationships and they're sick and they can't get medical support because of the abuse. Yeah, well, we know that it's one in three women who are affected by family violence. We know that approximately 10 women a day are hospitalised because of family violence and women are three times more likely to experience fear and, and anxiety in because of family violence, which altogether creates, they're more vulnerable for general illnesses but injuries and because the perpetrator may not allow them out, those injuries could become quite severe and it could put their lives at risk. Are we hearing many reports of gender-diverse people having to return to their families of origin and having to conceal their, their gender identity because of that fear of violence or, in fact, are being subjected to violence in those scenarios because of their gender identity or, or their sexuality, for that matter? Yes, so we know that perpetrators sometimes, you know, especially if it's like a bisexual person or a trans person that's in a straight relationship, so a relationship of the opposite sex, we know that sometimes the perpetrator will use their sexual orientation or gender identity um, against them by saying they'll out them to people, which then, you know, that creates further risks with other people. And we believe that at the moment it is actually quite bad um, just because perpetrators are home more at the moment. So people may be forced to go back to family that are unsupportive and will not affirm someone's gender identity or sexual orientation, which puts their mental health at great risk. Are many refuges operating that are run by religious organisations? And if so, what, what effects is that having on people? Are people having to hide perhaps their sexuality or their gender identity because they can only get to a, a religious refuge or a religious support service? Yeah, so that is actually one of the issues that do face the trans and gender diverse community in particular is that, you know, a lot of religions do not have the greatest backgrounds with treating the queer community properly. And even if they are affirming and have, like, the rainbow tick, you don't know who you're going to come across. You can have staff that will not be affirming, will be hostile. You don't know who else is in the refuges. So a lot of trans and gender diverse people actually feel really unsafe going to refuges in the first place if it's run by a religious organisation, which is why we need more secular refuges. And in particular, refuges catering solely to the queer community because the queer community has a background that's got so much trauma that, that creates specific, unique issues that need to be dealt with to properly help those people.
you've been an educator and advocate in the family violence space for a decade, as you alluded to before. You mustn't have seen anything like this before, and you mustn't have seen anything like the demand on services before. No, I've been quite shocked at just the number that's been reported. I thought during the bushfires over summer, that was really bad and there was a spike in family violence then. But this is just unprecedented and everyone in the family violence area is just trying to learn as they go, really. If anyone from the federal government or the Andrews government is listening, I know some MPs do listen to this show. What would you say to them about what they need to do? We need more... um, We just need more resources to begin with. We need more funding and we need funding for more um, queer family violence services. We just, we need more um, education, things like respectful relationships in schools. That needs more funding because we cannot change unless we start educating, in particular, children on We need to just burst the stereotypes, gender stereotypes. We need to let men and boys know it's okay to show emotion. And we just need to teach basic respect for other people. How has working from home impacted on, on workers in this space? It must be incredibly difficult to support clients when you're working from home. It is, especially if you get... someone that's never been through a family violence service before who knows nothing about family violence. And we know when somebody is leaving that they're at the highest risk of being killed or seriously injured. So it's really, really hard for workers at the moment to do safety assessments and to make sure women um, are getting to safety. Another issue is barriers to transport to get women to refuges in the first place. I know in New South Wales, Uber has offered 3,000 free rides to people leaving family violence situations, but we really need the government to put more funding into things like taxi services to enable women to leave in the first place. What do we know about the impacts of of the pandemic in terms of family violence in regional areas? Yeah, so we know that, you know, most services are in metropolitan areas. So especially people in tiny country towns, everybody knows everyone and we know how manipulative perpetrators can be and they're quite often well-respected within their communities. So it actually makes it unsafe for women to even ask for help because everybody knows everyone. If the local cop is a friend of the perpetrator, that cop is unlikely to act, which then further puts a, a person at risk. I mean, we must, be, we must be seeing scenarios now where people are staying in unsafe situations, uh, not leaving them. This is going to have mental health effects for a very long time, isn't it? And a huge impact on services for quite some time to come. Oh, yes, definitely. We need extra funding into mental health and we need to have easy access to medical professionals who are informed about trauma. In particular, um, post-traumatic stress disorder is common in people who have been in violent relationships and we need to 
prepare now for when lockdown is over and how we're going to help these people. Lynn, thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. It's been fantastic hearing your insights and your breadth of experience. Thank you so much. Thank you. would like to thank Thornhubber Health for their financial support of this program. 
Vaughan Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Vaughan Harbour Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.